I'm going to be in uh, Luke chapter 3, if you don't mind opening up your Bible uh, to Luke 3. Uh, it's really good to have our, our ladies back from the retreat. I heard really good things about uh, everything that happened. I did not sleep at all uh, with Melinda gone, uh, but, uh, but it's super good. I, uh, it's so awesome. I was thinking about just to be so close to such a beautiful place and, and just the ability not just to be with sisters in Christ, um, but to be in a place so beautiful. Um, and I was thinking about um, why this chapter means so much to me. It's the simplicity of a river. Uh, the simplicity of a man standing in a river. Um, and uh, some of you, I've gotten to have that opportunity to go fly fishing or do something. We just kind of sit in a river together and, and think. And it's amazing, isn't it, how God restores your soul? When you go to a place where it's just you and him and a relationship with him and you sit and rethink, you reevaluate, God, who am I? Um, man, the path that I'm on, the thoughts that I think. Um, it's one of the most beautiful places to worship, just to sit alone in a beautiful place and think about God. This is a complicated time. Religion had become confusing. There's scribes, there's Pharisees, there's Sadducees, there's Essenes, there's Zealots, there's robes, there's phylacteries, there's head coverings, there are traditions and laws that men had written that at best were confusing and at worst were corrupting. And now you have a man standing in the wilderness preaching a message. I can promise that if I go up in the Rocky Mountains and start preaching a message, I'm going to be alone. I don't know how he got people to come hear his message. But it's where he's standing. And that's what I was talking about last week. It's where he's standing that we sometimes miss. He's standing not just in the Jordan River, but we're given the exact location where Elijah crossed where he transferred leadership to Elisha, where Moses led Israel. And he stood before Israel and he said, he said this, look, I'm putting before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Choose. Look, I'm putting before you today life and death. I'm making you make this choice. Joshua said the same thing, man. I want you to choose today whom you're going to serve. Look, if it doesn't seem pleasing you to serve the Lord, then go serve the gods of your fathers beyond the river. Or go, go serve the God of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we are going to choose to serve God. This was a place, this river, not just this river, this location on the river was a historical site for Israel. John goes and he stands in this monument of a site where Elijah came, where Moses came. He stands in this spot and he starts preaching a message that is the most simple message in the most simple location. And the crowds come to him. And he's preaching this message of repentance. Religion today has become confusing. What version of the Bible are you reading this morning? Countless flavors of church. What's the tempo of your worship? Not feeling it. 
routines, traditions that at best are confusing and at worst are corrupting. And finding a place in your life where you can, and I don't know if it's happened to you, where you're sitting in worship services over and over again, and you're singing the songs, even memorizing the scriptures, and then you're brought to a place in the wilderness, you're brought to a place in a river somewhere, and God reminds your heart, you are far from me. We've lost our walk. We've lost our love. You've lost the, the spirit that cried out, Abba, Father. You've lost that spirit. And maintaining a walk with God is one of the most difficult wars that we fight. He's standing on this spot in the Jordan River, calling Israel to repentance. He's dressed like Elijah. He's in the spirit of Elijah. He's fulfilling Malachi's prophecy of Elijah. And the spirit that fell down on Elisha, in the same language it says the spirit descended on Christ as a dove. And Christ is going to begin this ministry. But I want you to go ahead and open with me. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. And I'm going to really focus on verse 16 here in a minute. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, what he might be saying here, I'm just going to focus on these, these sandals here real quick. It, it, I, you've probably read this like I have and thought, he, he, this is the most lowly thing maybe you could do for a person is, is take off their shoes. Maybe this was the role of a slave, putting yourself at somebody's feet. Most likely, and I'm convinced, that it may not be it, but he's re- referring to the Leveret Law. And you remember back, and you might note these two passages, Deuteronomy 25.7 and Ruth 4. That if, if, if somebody were to remove one's sandal, was to take another's right as the bridegroom. That was part of Israel's tradition. If you removed someone's sandals, you were taking their right as the bridegroom. And now the bridegroom has come, and John 3.30, John says, He must increase, I must decrease. This is the Christ. This is the one. I don't have any, any place in this ministry anymore. I'm bringing everybody to this Christ. And he's turning everybody, and he's turning the hearts of the people to this Christ. And then he says this, I baptize with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I know traditionally and in most circles that this verse is understood as a good thing. You even, there's songs about God, fire, bring your fire. Um, fire is not a good thing in this context. It's not something you want to be praying for. This is the context he says this in. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's what he said in verse 9. He says in verse 49, I've come to bring fire on, uh, uh, no, in chapter 12, verse 49, I've come to bring fire on the earth and how much I can't wait till it's kindled. He says in chapter 3, verse 17, he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He keeps referring to this fire and it's not a beautiful good thing. It's not the tongues of fire that appear on the disciples in Acts 2. Most likely, that's not what we're dealing with. That's where the Spirit is going to be poured out, but He's calling the people to make a choice. I will baptize you in the Holy, He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. 
or he will baptize you in fire. It's going to be one of these two things. Israel has been a nation, get this, for almost exactly a thousand years. One thousand years. Their temple was destroyed. They were taken to captivity. We talked about in Austin's class this morning in 520 BC on the ninth day of the month of Av. It's called the saddest day in Jewish history. It's called Tishba Av. And the temple was destroyed a second time on the exact same day in 70 AD. Israel was coming to the close of a thousand years as a nation. John the Baptist stands before him and saying, judgment has come. Judgment is coming and the Christ is coming and he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And he's going to baptize you in fire. You have a choice to make. You're standing here in the most simple place, the place where this nation made the same decision when Moses called them to make this decision, when Joshua called them to make this decision. And now John the Baptist is calling him to make this decision. Baptism in the Spirit represents God's life-breathing presence. It represents His presence with us and in us. And it is the hope of the Old Testament when, when Moses stood before God and he said, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't send me forth from this place, begging for the presence and relationship with God. And God says, man, I can't go with you. You're a stiff-necked people. I could destroy you if I go with you. And he says, we're nothing without you. And it's the hope of the New Testament, the same thing that we're seeing take place. But ultimately, he's calling to them to an urgent and immediate decision. He says this, the axe is already at the root of the trees. His winnowing fork is already in his hands. Right now, Right here, you have a decision to make. Will you give your heart to God or will you not? Now, sometimes it's been difficult for me in Bible study because so much of it is historical. So much I've been looking at it and we talk about the Pharisees and Jerusalem and their destruction. And we're left today going, great, Jeff, neat history facts, but we are 2,000 years removed on the other side of the planet. Where do I fit into this picture? And the, and the answer, when it hits me, is obvious that everything in this life, everything that I would put my hope in, is destined for destruction. Everything in this world, every treasure that I would lift up, is going to, moth is going to eat, moths are going to eat it, rust is going to destroy it, fire is going to burn it. In the end, it will all be destroyed. In the end, cancer will consume it. In the end... No matter what we put hope in in this life, there's nothing outside of God and His presence. And inside of God's presence, and this is the hope of the Spirit and what the gospel is all about, is there is life. Jesus said, I've come that they would have life and that they would have it to the full. He said this, I love this verse, and I want you to just, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pause on this verse. I want you to think about what he says. This is John 8, 51. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. That's Jesus' words. You won't taste it. That, that same sentiment is echoed in 1 Corinthians 15, where he, where he says this, We will not sleep. Not for a second. 
but will be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. That's been interpreted largely as the resurrection will happen fast in the twinkling of an eye. I'm pretty convinced that he's saying this. This is what happens. As soon as you die, you will not taste death. You will not see death. In a flash in the twinkling of an eye, you are changed. You are in his presence because death doesn't touch his children. It's, it's incredible. It's an incredible hope because in Christ, there is nothing but life. And outside of Christ, there is nothing but destruction. And it's the most simple destruction that, it's simple destruction. It's the most simple choice that Moses calls the people to. Look, I'm setting before you death and destruction, life and prosperity. What are you going to choose? It was one of the most powerful moments for me. And I've shared this story with you before when I was, we were going with a youth group up a mountain and all of a sudden one of our younger boys, his name was Philip. One of our younger boys got sick and tired. He was sore. His backpack was twice as big as he was. And all of a sudden, we're walking up the mountain in a line. You, you've done this. You're Coloradoans. We walk up in a line, and, and you're going to the mountain, and you're tired, and you're wet, and you're hungry, but you have tents. You have fires. You have food. This young boy turns around and starts walking back the other direction. And I'm, I'm, I just look and I'm watching and I'm thinking, well, I don't know what he's doing. So we keep walking. And finally I said, I'm going to go back and I go find this young man. I said, where are you going? Jason, were you there? Jason was there. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going down. Down? You don't even know where the vans are and you don't have a key. Where are you going? You're going to freeze to death. You're going to starve to death and you're definitely going to get lost. I don't know where you're going. And I know this journey's hard, but at least we've got tents. At least we've got company. At least we've got food. You don't have a choice in the matter. You choose this way or this way. That's the thing about religion is it doesn't matter whether you come to church and you say, I don't care or you do. These, this decision faces your life regardless. It's not a decision anybody can run away from. You can't stop going to church and this decision go away. It's there, always in front of you. Choose death or choose life. Choose Christ or don't choose Christ. Death is a certainty. Life is not. You have a choice to live. But you don't have a choice about the other. And this is the message, the beauty of the message John is giving to these people. The Spirit doesn't just breathe hope into our lives. He breathes power into our lives and purpose into our lives. You eat at the tree of life every day. You drink from the fountain of life every day. And the path of the righteous, it says in Proverbs, is like the first gleam of dawn that shines ever brighter to the full light of day. This is what life in the Spirit is. And when He pours out His Spirit in Acts 2, He pours it out on the Jew. And Acts 8 he pours out his spirit on the, Gen- on the Samaritan. In Acts 10, he pours out his spirit on the Gentile. And each, in each instance, well, at least tw- twice, Joel 2 is quoted. He says, this is happening right here, right now. God has poured out his spirit for us. His presence is available in our lives. We have a choice to make. Are we in him or are we, are we not inside of him? This wall here... Uh, this was, uh, uh, the first wall, uh, was, uh, done by an artist named, uh, Candy Chang in 2011 on the side of an abandoned building. It was the Before I Die project. 
it caught on to the point that 400 walls were put up in 60 different countries. What am I going to do before I die? And because I was going to show this wall to the whole church, I was terrified, and so I thought I had to investigate what was said on every single... And there's some good stuff on here. It says this, Before I die, I want to become Batman. I want to see a ton of trees. Daniel Wheat wrote that. I love this one. Plant a seed of change in every child's mind. One of them just said, I want to write on this chalk wall, this wall and chalk before I die. I love this one. Before I die, I want to forgive somebody who I need to forgive. This one, one of them said, before I die, I want to make amends to all the people I hurt in this life. And then there were two that really hit me. Before I die, I want to know God. And before I die, I want to live. Somebody else said, before I die, I want to pet a wombat. Revive a ghost town. Go to a Nickelback concert, you poor thing. All over the world, people doing this meditating. What am I going to do? What do I want to do before I die? And there's only one thing that matters. There's only one choice that will ever matter in anybody's life. And in the midst of all of the confusion and corruption that is in religion, and we're the, man, we're the first people to point it out there. I love what I do. But let's face it, I'm standing in the middle of a three-ring circus. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing what we've done to the name of Christ. And John the Baptist goes out to a simple river and has one simple message. With all this corruption, all this craziness in religion, he just stands there, and it goes back to Austin's class, was perfect this morning. Remember this location. Remember this place. Remember the decision that your God called you to in your life. For me, it was simple. It was under a tree in Austin, Texas, and Psalm 63 changed my life. And the simplicity of Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. That young man became corrupt by debates and sickness and pride and religion. And God has had to work on my heart a lot to bring me back to the river. Your walk with God. This is everything. And there's somebody in this room, and I know this. I know that some of you are angry with God, have a hard time praying. I know some of you thought you were coming to church and you're not a big fan of religion. But the God that we're speaking about and the God that we do our best to sing to is so real. You cannot escape Him. You cannot escape his presence. And you cannot escape the question that John the Baptist is putting before the people. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or you will be baptized in fire. Now when I say that, you're like, did Jeff really just go there? Listen, God is not. He is not this God that sits on a throne that just commands his people, worship me or I'll torture you forever. 
I hope you don't hear that when you see this. Fire is the very nature of things. It just means this, destruction. In me, there is life. Outside of me, there's destruction. And he's not teaching you anything your soul doesn't already know. Outside of me, there's nothing. And you make this choice. My prayer is that for those of you who are not in Christ, I pray that you'd be brought to a river somewhere. I pray that you'd understand this is not about meadowlark. This is not about the way songs are sung or what church, all of that. This is about you and your Lord. And for those of us who are in Christ, and we've done this for a while, and the songs have grown stale often, and we don't even know how to pray over the years, and all of us have gone through times where we didn't even want to pray, I'm sure. I pray that we'll keep going back to this river. I pray that we'll keep going back to this spot and that he'll keep purifying our soul. Uh, John the Baptist, I'm, it's crazy to me. It's only one chapter in the Gospels. We go over it so fast and there's such a message. It's amazing. Um, my God, I just, um, I wanna, I'm lifting myself personally before you. And I'm, I, I pray, God, that every single one of us that stands before you, that we don't get distracted by all this stuff that's not from you. Uh, but, God, that you bring us back to a place of simplicity in our faith where we just hear your voice and a simple choice. Uh, God, that everything in this world, everything that we love, every car we drive, every house we live in, will be obliterated. It's nothing. And life in your presence is so rich and it's so beautiful. And God, I don't know why we forget that. But I pray that you put this promise on everybody's heart in this room. That those who are in you will never taste death. They'll never see it. That corruption, death, none of it has a hold on you and it doesn't have a hold on us in you. I praise you, God, for being such a present God, not a God of history, not a God of a book, but God also uh, the God of the here and the now and the present. And I just pray, Father, that you would touch hearts in this room, that you would continue to touch my heart and keep us in your presence. We're dead without you. I love you so much, Father. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God.